the game was different, right? The the, the rules was different. The ball. Oh, was the Euro, different. The, Euro, the Euro style is different in America. The Euro style was a lot different in America. <laughs> That's the Especially, first time y'all seen that Euro step too, huh? Absolutely. It's a great honor to have um, a very good friend and a long time uh, colleague um, met in. Oh, geez, what was it? 2011, I think. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so it, it's a great pleasure to, to introduce uh, Chris Mays to the show. Chris, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, man, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, like you said, um, we met back in the nice sunny days in Gran Canaria when it was, you know, when it was uh, 25 degrees and all sun and no hard work at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, since then, and then it's amazing we both coached Worthing at one point in our lives. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And moved on. But yeah, I moved on to, uh, after a five-year stint at the academy, I moved on to professional basketball in Belgium and Holland. And uh, now I'm working as a technical director of a club in here in uh, Harlem, which is close to Amsterdam. We're trying to build a professional unit, uh, professional men's program. We already have a professional women's program. And to try and take the club to a different level and also build the sustainability of Dutch basketball as well. So working close with the Federation to do that too. So yeah, it's all, uh, I hear you have a few questions for me. So. Uh, yeah, just, yeah, just a few, man. Just a few yeah. about the journey. So um, we'll get straight into it. Um, and it doesn't have to be an exact number, um, but roughly how many players would you say you've helped uh, get to the States and play college ball? My God, it's got to be close to, it's got to be over a hundred, I think, that we got to, we've had there, you know, even just, at, I think in Grand Canaria, I think, in all the time that we were there, it must have been over plus a hundred kids that have gone that direction. I've seen other kids from the professional ranks here, uh, other kids in other clubs working again, in um, Alfas in Spain and stuff like that. There's, I think, yeah, altogether it's been about probably about 150 kids that have gone to Division One schools, Jeez. and even just the United States route um, over the last year since 2010. Man, so hey, um, that's why you know definitely for for this program and what we're trying to achieve. That's why you know having somebody like you is is you know invaluable information. So um, yeah, glad glad to have you with us. Um, Right, so why do you think, or, you know, yeah, why do you think that the USA route, you know, college basketball um, was the pre preferential route for those players? Uh, I think back in, back in the time when we started, when I started watching basketball, it was back in the heyday of Words and Thunder, it was back in the 90s. And I was, I was always very, very lucky to, uh, I was very lucky to be a part of, when I grew up, uh, let me just turn that off because otherwise it's going to get annoying. <laughs> no worries. Uh, when I grew up and started started with basketball, British basketball was probably the best it had ever been. Um, you know, you had geniuses like Jordan, that era where, you know, elitism was really high. And after that, it kind of took a slump, especially in the UK. And I think because it came to that point where development wasn't a factor anymore, I think it was maybe more of a trend that these kids go to the United States because we thought that it was the only way to develop kids. 
that that this is the only way because you know our our generation uh, had that high level where the next level it just completely plateaued off and it was becoming a very big trend just to send the kids straight to the United States so at the time uh, even even the first three four years uh, well actually the first couple of years going into Gran Canaria yes it probably was especially for the caliber of kids that we had across uh, we we always like you know we used to you know the bring kids in from division B programs in European competitions. So under underappreciated, underworked, um, what do you call it? Federations that mm-hmm. don't really care about the development of the kids and actually overlook the right things instead of because they're trying to teach skill, etc., or they don't have an understanding of why the kid is competitive. You know, what's very funny this week is even from our first couple of years, Hey, I, I just did a a, a call, a, like a motivational video yeah. for some players that are now playing in the national team in this FIBA Eurobasket window. Yeah. You know? And I don't know about you, but that makes me feel, you know, very proud that we were just a tiny, tiny part of these of kids' journey. development, you know? Yeah. So, so to me, I think back then, I think, yes, it was probably the only way because you know, these the game was kind of underdeveloped. It went through a bad, bad stage in the UK, a bad stage where I am now in Holland, undersized nations like the Czech Republic and stuff like this. There were big opportunities for us. And I think maybe culture change, uh, making these kids because it was a bit too easy. Uh, culture change was definitely the one thing that, you know, these guys needed to get to, to a level understanding values of hard work and stuff like this. I think that type of thing, uh, college basketball, especially back then when it was more of a four-year program sort of deal, etc. I think, yeah, there was a big fascination with actually getting these guys to that sort of level. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely agree with that. And um, I guess America, it's, uh, yeah, by stereotype, America's always been ahead of the curve in terms of it being the mecca of bigger, brighter, um, better competitions. You know what I mean, like you could argue if the basketball was better, um, you know, compared to the ACB and, you know, other leagues, you know, um, but I think the fact of the funding, the fact of, you know, the arenas, um, the education side of it, the glitz, the glamour, the Hollywood aspect mm. that followed it. I think, yeah, I think a lot of it did kind of push um, players to, to, to you know, uh, collegiate basketball and, and coaches sending them there. So, yeah. I think so too. And I think as well that they, what college, what college basketball did was gave you a structured program. Mm. It was hierarchy even within the four years that kids were there. You know, seniors would always play more than freshmen, you know, unless you were really good as a freshman. You know, back then it was more, okay, it's definitely a four-year process. When we look back, take somebody like Shalon Kloof, yeah, Charlie, he definitely needed them four years to be able to push and create something for himself. You know, working in a very good program like he did at St. Bonaventure, taking that team to the uh taking that type of team that he had to actually a tournament appearance and losing to florida state i mean that 
that to me is where college basketball wins for European guys when they're able to go there and achieve something, but still have the mindset of being able to push on as a profession because it is very easy to go there and get the twinkle lights, like you say, mm. and think, okay, that is the that is the highest that I will play, you know, mm. and it, you know, but. For, for most of them guys where you could see that there was a career in them and they were being overseen as a basketball player for a career because they were either late in development age-wise you know you know as well as i do that tall people take longer to develop but when the kid is ready they're ready yeah but these some guys these they just need more time and you know we always saw that federations such as the British Federation, the Dutch Federation, etc., like that, were just not willing to invest in these guys, and they were win first, and it wasn't getting them anywhere. These kids were being overlooked, and I think, yeah, for 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 eighty percent of them, it was definitely the right choice to break that cycle, reinvent themselves, and get back out into with that mindset of wanting to play basketball. I like it. Yeah, definitely agree with um, a lot of those points. Um, why do you think, uh, sorry, no. Um, can you break down the type of players um, that went to the US? So, um, you know, was there something specific that, you know, colleges took or was it just all types of players from all different walks of life and, you know? Always if you were six foot 10, <laughs> you had an advantage, you know. Yeah. You, you know what I mean. And and I think as well, college college really like the idea that European guys are way more, uh, sometimes more mature. Uh, I've they heard that yeah, they they understand. Sometimes they understand the game because one thing about American basketball is they're so because there's so much, there's so many kids. You don't actually have to work on your level because your level works for you. You know, if you let that level get out of control, maybe you're looking at what American basketball is right now at high school and stuff like this. The kids are coming through with a different type of mindset. But back then, you know, these guys were going into programs to actually commit to four years to be able to go into an NBA program and stuff like that. So it was a different level of culture, but the maturity always, that was always the biggest factor. It was either size, uh, shooting ability as well back then too and also the ability that these kids are more mature you know socially more acceptable you know they're, they're more understanding and also the level of education sometimes is a lot higher so you know the when you're coming in and you know some people were recruited to play but a lot of people you had the ID that they were brought in for a, a prospect put them into practice and see how many, you know, what you can get out of them, but you always knew that they would always turn up for practice. You know, they wouldn't be a problem. You know, you would always be able to play practice teams with these guys mm. and slowly develop them like that. I saw, I've seen a lot of cases now where, you know, when you look at it wide-eyed and with all the information that, yeah, these guys are just building rosters because a lot of these, especially the big six conference, they already have their scorers coming in. Mm. They already have their main guys coming in. And really, as a European, you were the guy, the glue guy, because you had the intelligence to fit and to make it work. So I see that a lot in, I saw that a lot more and more clearly as I, you know, the more experience we had in US recruiting. 
it's 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 weird. So you know, this whole this whole uh, season is about um, you know what is it that coaches look for, whether it's academy coaches that send or college coaches that recruit. And one thing that comes up constantly is the maturity level of you know recruiting from uh, you know recruiting international players and the education side of things that they're normally educationally you know more uh, more grounded so um, I think that's a big thing for you know any players that's thinking of going to um, America or looking to be recruited are you mature and are your academics you know on point are they you know really good Um, I think that's you know a big thing to help you get recruited um is there a specific oh i kind of i guess you kind of touched it already but is there a specific position that um gets recruited more popular than others but yeah as you said you know six ten um guys all um, mm, it's uh, like yeah it's like well six ten if you went to the acc why do you need speedy guards you know they're they're at 10 to a dozen in the united states you know would you need a would you need big men for the ACC yes you know that was the first the first two years that we were there I think uh, definitely the first year that I was there there was one point where we're sitting in the gym and the only two because we have Boris yes. Boris Wawanowski and stuff like that the only two ACC schools that weren't sitting in that gym were Duke and North Carolina simply because they don't need to recruit you know <laughs> yeah but Miami Florida everybody was fighting over them kids and it simply was to 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 create that peace because you know they're winning programs and it's a tough division. Then you start slipping out west of the WCC. The biggest the one I love about the WCC was Gito. I think uh, how how his game. You know when he was here, they used to try and make him a four all the time when he was a kid, or they trying to make him shoot and everything like that. You have him for five seconds. You know he's probably going to be the best shot blocker that you've ever seen. You know, oh, man, yeah. well, that we ever had at the academy for sure. You know, I remember when he played. What's his name? Um, uh, he plays in the NBA. One of the brothers, Plumley. Uh, he, no, the Spanish brothers. Uh, oh. Hermi Gomez. Hermi Gomez. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We played him in Tenerife. And uh, I think Gito blocked him three or four times. And he scored something like four or five points. Gito completely took him under control. We we always saw that he had a value to that. And so did the school. So the school took him because of this. Mm. You know, and he ended up being the best shot, shot blocker, not only in school history, but also within the WCC. So, you know... It, it depends which way you swing around about and also it depends which conference you go into <laughs> you know do yeah. you need more intelligent guards do you need more quick guards what are you going to fight for what's your main competition do you fit into that and i think sometimes we get lost as well especially now is that just go where actually there is a recruitment process to these things mm. and actually do you have any identity to be able to go and play at that level you know, what's your game? Are you confused about your game? Do you think you're this when really you're not? <laughs> <laughs> and then you're going to have to go to go to college. You're going to get redshirted. You're going to end up five years there to be, you know, to be able to find out what you are. So I think, I think that the identity of the school, the development of the school, what the school's outcomes are, you know, what their beliefs are. If they're if they're always talking, if you take you take for example Miami. 
who push all the time saying we develop NBA players, NBA players, NBA players. They struggle to develop NBA players. You go to Gonzaga, who never say something like that at all. They never talk about NBA. They only talk about the guy that they bring in being the best person he can be. And they've had nine and 11 years to go to the NBA. So yeah, it's, it swings around about. So I think the identity of the school, the person that you are, you know, because we, we've worked in a, we both worked in industries where people pay for players, you know, or they go for the goodwill. Yeah, really at the same time, really at the end of the day, which whichever is right or what's wrong, it always averages out simply because of the mentality of the kid. Mm, yeah. yeah, it's nothing else. It's the mentality of the kid that's going to get them through. Are they going to accept the environment they're in? Do they know what environment they're going into? You know, <laughs> what all of this and how do you expose yourself to that before you go? And I think uh, that's something now that, you know, you really got to have a look at before you, you know, or I would advise kids to take a look at before you even think about, about yeah, 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 going on these stages. I, I, man, Chris, I, singing off the same hymn, hymn sheet, my guy. <laughs> um, what processes are involved in getting players to the States? Uh, luck, <laughs> luck or the hard way, or you, you know, luck, hard work, you know, all the basic tool things yeah. <laughs> you kind of need or knowing the right people. I think whenever you go on a journey, uh, I, I think it's kind of like being an agent now, right? Mm. And if, if you as a player want to play in Spain, you would hire a guy that sends guys to Spanish agents. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. If you want to go to an identity where they develop these things to go that way, you know, then you put yourself in a position where you know you can work hard to create your own luck. But with people with the mindset of doing that, I think that was very clear for us in the first couple of years of CPA. That's what we were about. We were about putting people through five practices a day. <laughs> Yeah. To, it still sounds nuts saying it out loud, it man. Does. Yeah, but th that was the idea, right? But when you when you locked into it, I think, you know, with the 50 guys that we had, we had such a close-knit unit oh, because definitely. actually all of them wanted the same thing. And all of them together were willing to stick together to get through it. And I think as uh, the reason why I left that place in the end is because they over-recruited for, for money, in a way, you know, rule brought in way too many people, you know, with, that weren't at the level or really, really wanted what these guys wanted before. So they, then it became, you know, a sort of shit show, you know, because mm. there was bad with good. And you had, to, you had to work more around babysitting than actually working with the guys. I was very lucky because I'd been there long enough, so I only got to work with the elite guys, so I didn't have to put up with the other ones. Mm. But trust me, when you start putting toxic in that environment for one somebody chasing a dream, you know, the most selfish thing you can do as a human being, I think, is hold somebody back. You know, stop somebody from trying to be somebody they want to be, you know? Mm. And I think when you're doing that because of your own wealth or something like that, I just don't think that's right. So for me, as a player or somebody that wants to do that, I got to put myself in a position where I'm going to get lucky. Yeah, I'm working with the right people. 
I'm working with that direction that also approves of me. I'm looking for schools where they want to do this exactly the same thing that I do. I want to go to a school that loves me and wants me to go there because I know they're going to work for me. And, you know, as much as you put in all the hard work, who's working for you at the same time? Why are they doing that? And I think, you know, for a lot of criticism that we always took, the right ones, you know, the right ones, that was always the relationship. Uh, it, deep down, that was the relationship. Doesn't matter which way you're pendulum. It, we were both going in that same direction because that was your dream. That's where we wanted to push you. So we did it together, you know? A hook or crook. Hey, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just that, that sort of identity, that sort of culture, that sort of program. Because the older I get in this game, I realized that, you know, I've never known a coach that could actually make a player great, but I know a lot of players that make coaches great. <laughs> Yeah, I believe that. But you know, if you're working for each other with the same line, you know, you're going to get further than the person that always has to pull and push again. So I would rather be fighting that corner than anything else. That was that was a, that was a bar, Chris. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a way to um, conceptualize it in terms of the player-coach relationship and coaches being able to help. You know, as much as the coach helps the player, and that and that's something I definitely do agree with, because as much as us, the coach, we help develop and all the rest of it, you know, the player is the one who's actually putting it into, you know, into execution, into practice. So, I mean, definitely, I mean, so many guys, especially the the the, the group that I had on the first series, I think all of them to some extent. Um, you know, I remember Gito. Gito's reasoning for going to um, San Diego was, you know, he had a lot of big schools after him, and he, he was just like, "Hey, coach, I just want to be happy." Yeah. And understanding the players' happiness again kind of attributes to what this program's about is um, understanding that, hey, look, he wants good weather, he wants beaches, he wants his tuition paid in full and that's it but then because those were his sole goals at the time it evolved and he immersed himself heavily into the culture yeah. of you know um, the University of San Diego and you know as the leading shot blocker in WCC or top three or whatever it is you know so it to, for me that's that's what it's about it's about facilitating being with us with a coach or a program or, or um, aligning yourself with, with, with people who can help you achieve those goals. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I uh, mean, that's the same with like Geordie Kuiper as well. Huh? Mm -hmm. When you think about it deep down, he went with the youngest program that wanted to develop the most. And he's the most outgoing guy that will work for anybody. Yeah. You know, and Wes Miller was, like I said, youngest coach with the youngest program. You know, and he really, you always knew you were going to get four years out of Geordie. Once he commits, he commits. He's the type of player that will outwork him all the time. You know, he died nearly five times in practice in, in like half a, month, half a year uh, at some point because of his diabetes, you know. But hey, <laughs> if a kid's willing to work that hard and you're trying to change the dynamic of your program, Geordie suits UNGC. Yeah. yeah. Um, congrats so, to, to Wes Miller as well. He just, yeah. I think he's the longest tenured coach in his conference. So, 
Exactly. Um, the youngest as well, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, um, yeah, it's 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 it's, a, it's amazing to see how all these relationships and stuff um, kick off and and, mm. and and improve. And I I hope coaches in general understand that it's not just a one way street. It's not just oh you're you know you're the name, you're the badge, you're the whatever, and you're the one that produces these players because yeah. I believe as coaches we learn so much um, about everything from the player you know the way they deal with things you know current yeah. situations how how to be coached do you know what I mean like you get feedback right you know you, yeah. you know, scream at them and they don't move and then you go put your arm around them and then they do decide to do something for you it's a it's a big learning curve Exactly. I mean, coaching is all about relationships. You know, the games are the tactical, technical and everything like that. You can look at, especially from a coach's point of view, you can look at anywhere. You can find that information anywhere. The one perk of our job and what I think has made us survive in the game so long is that we did work on the floor with these kids for so damn long that we learned emotion. We've gone from the highest to the high to people breaking down and crying right in front of us. Mm. I can't do it and stuff like that. Even us. You know, <laughs> even us would get up some mornings and think, how can I do this? You know, yeah. again, so, you know, we all lived in the same boat. And so I really do believe now when I talk to players now, I say it's not my responsibility to get you better. You know, it's not my responsibility. I'm going to put you, I'm going to, my responsibility is to create an environment for you to thrive. And you've got to come with that energy. You've got to come with that attitude to make yourself better. And in that way, you push each other. Mm, you know what I mean? And that's the relationship most that everybody's like, you know, that you've got to get to, you know? And so, you know, we've all been through there as coaches, as, as you know, these guys, these recruited kids, guys are going to come in and they say, oh, we look after you. We're, you know, we'll bring you on staff and stuff like that. We've all heard that sort of stuff and everything yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. And of course, it's the spiel to get the kid. So, some people try to do it because they think they're going to get exposed to something else. But really, a just consistency of being a good developer, consistency of your program and stuff like that, that's 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 always going to work, you know, not just because you can tag along. Because as much as they say it to you, they probably said it to about 150 other coaches. Uh, to uh, definitely, work, definitely, you know? definitely. So. Um, from the range of players that you've worked with, um, how is there a common skill that they could all do that you know maybe got them recruited is there one specific thing uh that let's say uh 190 out of the 200 could do uh create an identity for themselves create a worth for themselves like we were joking earlier on about shane right mm. but what shane hammock taught me at cba i'll tell you what he taught me is you can teach that guy a million moves, yeah. He always gonna do Euro step to the basket. That's him, you know. <laughs> Whatever happens, you know he's gonna pull that Euro step. You can teach him spin move in and out, everything like this. Here, create that Euro step. Here, get to the basket. He wants that one dribble for luck, you know. And I think the identity of them creates the pathway of where they can go further. So many people are so fascinated on learning everything straight away, you know? Well, hang on a sec, if you really want to do this for a career, a career lasts 15 years. So how are you going to get that 1% every 15 years, every year? 
to tick yourself over, to get better, to get better. So your body starts getting banged up. <laughs> you got to learn to shoot more. You got to learn to think more. You got to put yourself in a position. And I think some kids are so over obsessed these days and people trying to do that Swiss Army knife approach of, oh, I can do everything. But really at the end of the day, when you go to play for these coaches, you have to fit into their system. You know, you have to be a systematic player because you play under a structure, yeah? So they're honestly looking as they're the ones getting paid three million a season some of these big time coaches. They're the way, how they're gonna get you to win. And so if you bring identity for yourself and what you, you have an understanding of what you can provide, I think that is always the kind of, you know, they're the ones that will always progress more you know or mm. they're the ones that also when they don't get there they don't struggle so much of trying to adapt yeah because they think they are somebody they're not then they go into this situation and then they say uh oh <laughs> who the hell is that you know and stuff like that you know where if you're being recruited there's a big difference if you're being recruited as a shooter you know and you can go in there and you can make the team better by shooting I just think, you know, your pathway is a lot more clearer moving on to professionalism than you just going in there and being that Swiss Army knife that can do everything. Everything, yeah. Yeah, yeah and then you end up and you end up failing because or not being able to reach your potential because you're actually focusing on other things that just aren't important, you know, because really to be great at something you've got to be simple. Huh? Mm. <laughs> yeah, you really gotta be simple. So to me, I think that I think sometimes the lack of identity will ruin your career. You know, the more you know and believe in yourself, it's going to actually propel you. And I think that is the quality that I think that you've always got to look in before you take such a big jump as going into another country and trying to, you know, prove yourself. I like it. Um, can you suggest why an international player would be taken over a domestic American kid? just simply because of that skill set <laughs> you know what i mean uh, simply because of that you know mm. can i can he run an organized offense yeah is he big enough to get us this this thing because you know you got to look at most of them schools that they're, they're jacked with a lot of athletic talent yeah are they a glue guy are they this are they that how are they going to develop our program you know and when you think back at the kids that we've had you know everyone's kind of developed or added something to somebody's program and the ones that have done really well have gone there for a purpose like Vladdy, you know they gone there they went there for a purpose and they made a massive impact on that school and made that school better so yeah i think i think it's actually being able to define your skill set would be <laughs> yeah. the massive advantage over going to in otherwise you just Hey, for the for the Americans, it's a rat race yeah. already. Yeah, they have to go through AAU, all of that, yeah, to get into this massive rat race, and then put themselves into another higher level where, you know, how many schools are there? Three hundred schools yeah, in over, over yeah, 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 yeah. So there's like three thousand players. Mm. Yeah, you put that to five positions there's not that many places that go every year to get another guy in so you know and then an average stretch of three years so that's recycling two players every three years 
it's it's a rat race. Yeah, so you can yeah, go, yeah. yeah. And and also because they're used to that level, if you don't go know it, go in there knowing yourself, they're gonna they're gonna eat you alive. <laughs> you know that was the best thing that they used to say at CBA, huh? It was always, how are you, how are you gonna out hustle a kid when the ball drops on the floor? How are you gonna out hustle that kid that has no life? has no family, and the only way out of his situation is to dive on that ball, you know, to produce a future for them, because this is their future, where a lot of the European kids can go back home. Mm. Yeah. Some of these kids are there because it changes their family's lives. Mm. Now that, they're winning in motivation value straight away. <laughs> yeah, in a lot of ways, they're winning straight away because they're, they're going to dive on that ball because it means everything to them. Yeah, so... How, how do you beat that kid? Or how do you not just not beat him, but actually get on his level to make everything better? I think that's something that kids sort of don't really get before they go out there. It's it's definitely interesting and, and, and trying to understand a player's motivation. And I guess that's, you know, the fit is so important in terms of, I guess that transcends the the fit of the actual program but now we're talking about the conference let's say yeah because if you go to a um to an acc or a, or a pac 10 or but like it's a completely different ball game versus um like the mountain west and all, not saying that the athletes are um the athleticism so much different but the individuals players motivation and a lot of these programs you yeah. got a lot of guys playing for NBA spots where, as you said, they're trying to change their family, you know, their, their family situation. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's a completely different ball game. Um, mm -hmm. Completely different. Um, I'm, liking now, I'm liking this. Now, especially if you know as well, you know, like one and done is very popular. Transfer to every school now is in yes. without sitting out a year. Okay, so now you don't even have to commit to four years. You can go get what you want and it becomes even more individualistic and selfish if you if you think about it. Mm. You know, these people can go in and just get theirs and get out. And so you're also going into the rat race and maybe having to compete with that as well, where actually you need time to adjust to the level. And when you're going as a European, you are accepting four years. Huh? Now, I've got a question. You just said something that, like, is going to make me think now. Oh. The, the, <laughs> <laughs> the, the question, and I guess it's not necessarily for, uh, you know, potential guys who are going over, but maybe for the college coaches. And I'll probably ask, um, um, I've got a D1 coach lined up um, next week, but as a program now and, and and you know as a coach would you prefer the nba potential talent whatever and you know he's a one and done or would you get someone slightly you know uh less talented but you know he's more likely to be a, a four-year or a multiple year you know kid um you know for the program because you know yeah there are a lot of one and dones coming in the chances of you of that one and done coming in and making such a great impact in winning, I guess the, the chances are real low. So why would you not 
invest more on a long-term kid than a one and done? I think it, it, it all breaks down to, and it's just like what we try and do here, is the identity of what your program is and what you believe in. You know, you can see it's hurt Duke a little bit because it goes against the author, or, or, or um, the, the direction and the style of what Duke basketball is all about, you know? And yeah, I, even, even before taking Juco transfers, stuff like that also had a positive impact because it also brought up the level for the smaller colleges to be able to compete back then, you know? So you could go do that year in JUCO and go and get one of these kids that, you know, a little bit crazy, you know, stuff like this, but it will make an impact on making your program better. I think I think maybe just the just the role, it's more, it's more the, the honesty of your program, I think it really is, and how you want to act. I mean, any kid that would say to me, "Would you either go to Gonzaga if you want to play European basketball, if you want to be the best person you can be, if you want to focusly develop on your talent?" I would always go to Gonzaga. If Gonzaga came knocking, I'd say, "See you later." You know, you've got to go because this is a high-level program. You know, there's no there's no tricks on why where they are right now, because they stayed the most consistent. Where everybody tried to mix the level. You look at Kentucky this season, what five and thirteen, and even them, they still recruit the highest potential in the nation. Mm. You lose, yeah. So, uh, for me, I would always stick value to program and build program. Yes. Instead of jumping. I would always do that because I just think in the end of the day, it's like always going for cheap money. Huh? <laughs> you can't keep on underselling yourself and expect to be respected, you know, at the end of the day. If you keep on asking for low money, people will take advantage of you all the time. If you set out your stall and you work for it and you continue to ask for your right price, I think it's I think it's exactly the same with, with that. I mean, you know, you can keep trying to chase Flick change everything like this and that culture now where it's fast and it's interactive and we've got to have a lot of choice. I think it kind of demeans it a bit because I think, first of all, to be great, you've got to go through bad times because, you know, <laughs> you know no good story started with a salad at the end of the day, right? Yeah. You know, so, so you've got to go through at some point the hard times to be able to understand your lows to be able to get better. And I think if you're consistently flicking through year in, year out, it must be exhausting for the coaching staff because where do you get the consistency? Or it's lazy for the coaching staff because you've got one program, you, you run that program yeah. and then you build it again and then you, you start again the next year. So why would you ever want to be a senior on one of them teams anyway? Because you're just being taught the same thing. There's no development, you know, or you just grow. I just don't. So for me, yeah, it's identity of the program. And that's that would be the you know I, I would never rush you can't rush success at the end of the day you can buy it but then it's still going to run out. But. <laughs> I like that. It was just yeah. a, um, as I said, it was a different um, question, and it just it just you know came to mind as you were talking. Mm. Um, but hey, let's let's keep back let's get back on track. Um, how important is education to the whole recruitment process? I think education is. Uh, for that type of environment is is important. I mean, that's what technically, you're always gonna be governed by the rules of the university. 
you know so in that environment because the university kind of owns you a little bit you know they give you the scholarship you're going to be governed by the inter international and it, that you know that education gives you an opportunity to be able to do what you want to do so in some ways you must respect that <laughs> that authority i think it's sad sometimes when kids go and they don't really know what to do and they just pick majors to just to get through school yeah, but, yeah. you know just to get the easy ride and stuff like that again you know that could be wasting because if it doesn't work out for you when you come back because you still gotta go on that path at some point in your life or or change direction so you know uh, i think it's a big and also just for the college experience as well huh? yeah. to be able to ma fully maximize you know what you're there for as long as the shining lights growing as a human being is very very important too you know that's a massive life experience that you're going through you know why not challenge yourself at the same time <laughs> mm. i just think that you know it's a byproduct of education yeah college basketball it has to be some mm. sort of figure you know unless the, unless you're on the top you know 50 an american to go into the nba draft i mean you know top 50 high school uh, college recruits you know that have actually got a shot at the nba draft i think education is more interesting or why not stay back in europe play european basketball get money yeah and and go to the nba that way i mean I, it's a big toss-up so you know yeah so for me if you're going to go to college, I would take full advantage of the education system as well. And, and sometimes go to Thomas Vandermars, you know, picked Portland because of the aviation stuff and stuff like that, you know. And he suited the college course that went for him. Now he's got the luxury of finishing his career as a professional basketball player. <laughs> and then he goes on to something in aviation. So, yeah, you know, yeah. figure it's, like, it's always what's going to happen next you know so you can either live with it you can take advantage of be at school and get your next while you're there or finish your career and then come out and restart it all again with different experiences but yeah i think education is still a strong point and just for your well-being as well you know what's the point of going there where you don't like it you know because you've got a lot of spare time on your hands huh you know you, you there's a, I don't think that's what they really understand a lot, you know. Yes, you travel a lot and stuff like that, but you've got a lot of spare time on your hands and, you know, a lot of the time you're just practicing. It's not... I got you. got to find something to do, otherwise, you know, bad habits could also slip in. <laughs> I got you. Um, and, you know, the, the coaches that I've had on this, this, this season, um, you know, the they speak about the importance of um, getting your GPA, you know, to get to a college, you can't as, as talented as you are um, without some, you know, shady stuff happening, some under the table stuff happening. You know, you can't be accepted into a school without having those, you know, the, the correct GPA. You can't get to play. The NCAA has got their own requirements of, of GPA that you need and then you know, to get into certain universities, a coach as good as he is, uh, again, without some backhanded stuff happening, but a coach can't recruit a kid into a program without 
a, a player having certain grades. So as, as great as you are, you might not even see the floor if you don't take care of your academics. So your academics mm. is definitely a huge part of the process. Yeah, especially pre, more pre than probably post. Yeah. You know, because you've got to you've got to set the requirements. You know, it doesn't come without sacrifice. You know, if you're not very good at school, you know, did you take Joel Freeland for example? Didn't want to go to school, went that route. Worked mm. out for him, but he was able to concentrate everything on that, and he had the motor to do it. So, you know, he just knew he didn't want to didn't want to worry about school and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just wanted to do 100% basketball. So. College life wasn't for him, but I think it's definitely in the independence. If you're done with school, then obviously you shouldn't really look into going to an environment where you can't go to school. You know that that's yeah. a big thing. That is, I think that's a very huge, big statement. And I think a lot of these players are conflicted and don't under, don't realize they're conflicted because they're like, "Ah, oh, I hate schoolwork. I'm not, you know, I don't want to do school anymore." And then they go, "Hey, I want to go play in the states." And I'm like, well, it's the, they're not different. You know what I mean, like they're not different. You have to have the school <laughs> to play states, you know, to play college basketball. You can't go there and tell coach I'm not going to class and then just rock up at practice. No, so that's not going to happen. So you got to, you know, if you like school and stuff like that, but it's the same at home, isn't it? Huh? School's not for everybody, and you end up seeing people go to university because it's the right thing to do to go to university. End up going there for six months, hate it, and drop and, and then go, drop go into the real world. So school isn't for everybody. That's why the college basketball process isn't for everybody because you've got to intertwine that. You know, it's like not it. right. It's not wrong. It's just it's, it's yeah. you. You know, it's got to be individualistic. It's got to be to you. It's got to be what you're really. You know. You don't like school, but I'm willing to sacrifice that to be the net. Then that's okay because you've got to do it, you know, and that's it. So yeah. you know, you've got to get your grades up before you go. No that. problem. You know. Um, okay, so here's a, a another one for you. Um, so let's say um, you've got like a, a nephew or whatever, and he's really academically bright. I'm talking about 4.0 GPA. Um, and he's also talented at the same time. Now, which would you advise either going to a Harvard, a Stanford, you know, a big Ivy League school or going to Gonzaga? Yeah, I would think, yeah, I'd say, what do you want? I think, what's more important to you? You know, as much as you want that kid, if he's got that intelligence anyway, I'm sure he can find that intelligence a little bit later on in life as well. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, if he's a smart kid, he'll probably be able to figure it out, you know. But to me, I think it's always just personal for the kid. I think you'll be successful wherever you want to be if you if you love being there. You know, if you really love it, you know, people ask me, how did I, how did I survive six years of Rob and CBA? It's because deep down inside, I needed it and I loved it. I love that environment. I love that pressure. It was hard as hell, <laughs> yeah, but I loved it. And I think it's exactly the same. You know, why go to a school when you know you're not going to enjoy it just to make other people happy, you know? Mm. Come on, you've got to you know, take a list, challenge yourself. You can do other things online later on in life, you know? But if that's the direction you want to take, I think you're still smart enough to be able to get to it. Now, if you, that's, you know, that's quite an interesting question as well, because we had one player here at Denver a couple of years ago. He wants to be a doctor, but also a professional basketball player. 
Yeah. Right? How do you balance oh. that? You got to do six years of school, yeah. you know, stuff like this. So how do you how do you balance the both? And there was a decision that he had to make. And in the end, he ended up playing two years here. And now he's gone to Utah to finish off his doctorate because he couldn't get onto the courses in in uh, Den Bosque or in Holland. So now he's used the last, so he did two years of that. Now he's finishing off the last two years of eligibility that he's got in a school in Utah. So sometimes, you know, making it work for you and, you know, that requires a little bit of help, but yeah, some fixing the way you want to do it. But I think kids get wrapped up with this all or nothing type of attitude. I've got to go now. If I do this, I miss the boat and stuff like that. Where really, it's your situation. Huh? Mm. <laughs> yeah, everybody's different. Everybody's got different ways. Everybody's got different paths. Everybody's got different journeys. You know, you speak to every player now that's a professional. He's got a different journey to everybody else. So, you know, and and it's what you make of it yourself. And I think that's very important. I like that. I like that. Um, so we're now going to address the the coaches. Um, you know, kind of like the the, the the academy coaches, younger coaches. I think uh, Chris Mays and uh, back in you know 2008 kind of thing. Um, how can how can coaches aid the development of players that want to play in the states? I think be honest with them. Uh, I think a lot of coaches when we're younger, uh, we also automatically try to s stick with the players because the players are going further than us quicker. You know, and it's kind of like an opening thing. You know, it was always I, when I went to. When I went to Spain, I realized that you're not here there to coach. You're there to drive the bus. First year, you remember that? You're there to drive the bus. You're there to do this, you're there to do that. If you think you're going in there to coach before you learn the system or the way that things are, I think it's a little bit, you know, on a first year with no, no idea of what you want to be. You know, you have a simple idea of a simple level. And I think, yeah, it, it came across as a big, Okay, well, you have to do your time to be able to be in this job. So I think, you know, given, and I, I would always be honest with people from that coming in now, if we, we were still at that job now, I say, you know, you think you're coaching this year, you're not. <laughs> so I think some coaches jump on with players because they think they can catapult themselves into a better situation, you know? And I think, I think there's, that's a way to do it, but also I think, you know, I think you've got to stay open-minded just as well as the kid and tell them the truth that, you know, your point of, I think development's always the same. Your point with one kid will be to that point and then you're done. You stay in contact, you know, mm. but you're just a progression on each other's lives. Yeah. And the higher you move up is the point where you next meet the, the next guy, you know? So, you know, so as you grow up in levels, you meet people at different points of time, you know? So I think the longer you're in this career, it's fantastic now where you bump into people on the professional ranks <laughs> and they were with you all the way back in the thing, crying their eyes out, you know, acting like spoiled little brats and everything like that. And you see the progression go to that and it's just fantastic. And I think that's the way you just have to be with them. It's very hard because you think at that age as well, when you start, you think you know it all. <laughs> and I can do this and I can do that. Where no, unless it's him, he does it. 
and you kind of facilitate that you know you try and help him along and if you do the right thing by somebody usually nine times out of ten the right thing is done by you you know back to you so i really believe that i believe in that sort of karma i like it i hear you um let's say you had a a a, a college prospect kid right yeah. and again this is you know young chris mays or whatever do you think that if you have a player of that caliber or that you believe is of that caliber do you need to focus your practice and your games around that player to help them go to the state so should they be the key focus and kind of i don't want to say ignore but like you know um prioritize that one player over you know everything or, or everything in the program no i that's one thing that we change here that we've changed here the last year we have very highly talented kids you know, just naturally talented um and before they put everything on them just to recruit them kids you know or to get rid of these kids the problem is when them kids go you're left with nothing yeah and really uh you have you have talent and then you have elite talent right talent will if it works really hard it becomes elite because you can't just be can't you know it, elite talent will search out really because that's a choice you make yourself elite you know you, you don't you know you, you're talented yes but to be elite you make yourself elite so you search out great environments to get better yeah they're really good ones i remember once going to a german uh, coaching conference thing and they said you know we got to start developing the next dirt novitskis well hang on a sec you don't do that dirt novitski develops you <laughs> yeah because he's unique he's one in a generation what you need is the tebo plices the ones underneath you know that are going to set the standard for your program to move up yeah because what we 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 were this club where I work at now it used to be the IKEA of basketball right they used to package really pretty looking furniture as in players yeah sell it to somebody or give it to somebody and then that guy used to take it to their place and develop it and make it better you know or put it in the right place you yeah, see what i mean so it ends up that sort of trade out sort of thing yeah and i think over a program i i honestly would always work with the if if the if the average guy is our worst guy we're in very good shape because the average guy the average joe yeah he sets a standard which isn't lazy he's always going to hard work so that's your benchmark and you can build forward so you're able to harbor this talent yeah and work with it together you know instead of just bringing in focus if you focus on one or two guys to make your program about them your program will fail you know because they're going to go so unless you're extremely good at recruiting <laughs> to put these kids back in the gym you know the year after year after year i think your program dissolves very quickly and i think that's something that they struggle with here before they used to have kids to their 16 and then they used to send them everywhere you know get them out because they couldn't grow the program and because of that the quality of the program drops or you you have one very good year because you have a good generation yeah, yeah, drop yeah, yeah. 
you know what I mean? And yeah. then we don't get anywhere as a program. You don't get anywhere as a sport. You don't get anywhere like that because you're always just attending to that. You know, it's like if you attend to the worst player all the time in practice, your better players don't get any better. If you attend to your best player, you, <laughs> the other guys don't get any better. So yeah. it's the same effect. It will never grow. Yeah. And unless you're good at recruiting. So, you know, up to me, I would never focus solely on that one college recruit. My job, my job is to, hey, it's the same in professional sport. You always have your best player. Yeah. Your best player should always make your team better. And in return, your team makes him better because yeah. everybody gets better around him. Yes. So instead yeah, yeah, yeah. of having a gap like that, yeah, instead of it going like that, it actually goes like that and you know at the end of the season you're way better than you were at the beginning of the season because everybody's doing their job yeah and i think that type of environment i would always do that and i think you would get greater success over time it's harder to do <laughs> trust me it's probably very hard to do but it was well, what we're finding right now to get the people to have that mindset of just not sending everything away it's very hard to do but over time you can see it's work because when they do go what you got next you know and if you're trying to build a coaching career as well you know unless you go with them or jump from job to job or something like that what do you got next you know even us in Gran Canera we had to adapt it was send everybody away then it was and said we need to adjust to go to Spanish championships now we can't think like that our average has to be better you know, to be able to play at Spanish championships because we were only allowed to play four foreign kids. Yeah. So there's still another six kids and then four kids can't win it on their own. <laughs> you know, because when you get to the high level, when you get to the last eight, the last 16, here come Madrid, here come Barca, here come everybody, that are one to 10 deep. So how are you going to compete? And you have to invest in your average to be great. So, you know, me building up your average keeps the better players better i like that yeah that makes sense um again a young coach here um what is the best way to contact a college coach so you've got um the next uh let me try and think of a name that's not ridiculously let's say Jeremy you've got the next sorry what was that Jeremy well, I mean, hey, I, I think great things is going to happen for him. But let's say you've got the next Rudy Gay. So, you know, great okay. talent, um, really good kids. Um, but, you know, you're a young coach and, you know, in this program, how would you contact a, um, a program and say, hey, I've got this kid. I think you should take a look at him. What's the best I way? Think, I think if you really believe in that, uh, and that's what he wants to do. Uh, first of all, you identify who he is, maybe with one tape, and then continue to send, uh, continue to build your relationship with these coaching staff by sending him game updates, you know, condensing games for them so they get to see the way that he plays within games, uh, not just highlight tapes. Uh, also, make it very open that these people can contact this kid, his parents, etc., uh, for them to be able to get an understanding of who they've got. Uh, I, I would encourage the kid as well to reach out to them as well to find out more about the school, challenge him with questions of what, what do you do here, you know, see if the consistency stays lying, it's actually what he really wants to do. 
I think, you know, the more you know about people, the better. Yeah, you can't be faked with the level just because it's the United States, just because it's this, just because it's that. You go to, you know, you go to Oklahoma State. <laughs> you want a social life only when the school kids are there because that town, you know, Stillwater is about this big. You know, there's hardly anybody that lived there. I've, I've been hey, there. It always so amazed me. They got 90,000 seat stadium and 35,000 people live there, you know, in Stillwater. So you can tell that when the students are there, yeah. So you can tell when the students are there, they're mass population. But also, if they have to stay there for summer school, that sucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it doesn't matter how much, how nice their six million pound dressing room is. <laughs> they got to stay there if you're rough and the thin, you know, and stuff like that. So stuff like you know, they got to start understanding that and appreciate them. If they if they honestly ask to go for a visit, let them go. You know, um, but yes, the more information that you can gather about the process that are about to go into, the better. I really believe that. You know, so it's just combining. It's just consistency in a relationship. Don't just send the thing thinking it's going to be all right. You need them long talks. You need them to start watching each other's games. And not only do they need to see our player, but we need to see what they're doing. So you know, you can understand with this kid what you're putting yourself into that's your position look what he's expecting you to do for this do you think you're able to do that you know do you mm. think you're going to get better you know our success of cba was with the bigs is because we have 15 of them you know not many programs in europe could have 15 bigs all banging up against each other every day you know that's consistency of development mm. so you know you've got to identify that for you and for the school as well. And I think starting that relationship as well, if that's one kid, then you start building trust with these guys. Yeah. And then they know that they can come to you because they know the character of your kid. You know, the people that you trust, they trust your word. I mean, we got we got one kid here now, uh, Junior, his name is, before he was a pain in the ass, total pain in the ass, head in the clouds, everything. Since he's been with us, he starts taking things seriously, finding out things for himself and everything like that. But when coaches ask about him, you can honestly speak about this guy. And yeah. I think I think that's the very important thing as well. When a guy asks you about a kid, you must be honest. Mm. Uh, don't big him up because it's only going to reflect bad, not on just you, but on the kid as well. Because when he gets there, he's going to get overlooked. And then, then that whole roller coaster of just faking him up actually becomes real and you've put him into a bad situation. Plus you, if you're willing to work and want to work in this coaching career, don't lie, you know? <laughs> you don't need to be hyped. You know, you can tell the truth, you know? Okay, oh bad at this. Yeah, nah, you yeah. gotta keep it real with these coaches. Then you turn up and you think, this, you know, this coach D is insane. What the hell does he see, you know? So, but yeah, it's exactly that. So I think honesty and everything is very, very integral and we get away from it sometimes just trying to do the best for the kid. You know, well, come on. I mean, it's not the best for the kid if you're putting him into a situation where it's going to get him worse, you know. So, you know, don't, you can never do it, even as a program. I would never just do it for the kid. Well, it's okay. It's not fair, you know. It, it's, okay, cool. It, and it kind of leads on to the next question and I, it sounds like, We've got to 
two in one answer there because you know the next question is uh, what's the worst thing a coach can do for a player wanting to go to the states and definitely hyping him and lying um, yes. is, is definitely the number one thing I think you can do right? yep. yeah hyping him lying putting false pretensions in his head making him believe that he's somebody that he's not uh, you know setting out your own task for your own purpose I think that's wrong you know, there has to be give and take in every single relationship. And, you know, you, you never do anything for a favor. <laughs> There's always a return in it. And I think when you're honest about that, I think, yes, you know, you can do this, but it also helps you and we understand that. So can I be honestly secure that I'm saying the right thing about this kid to be able to progress my career too? I think that's it. And when you lie, you just start hurting both of you. Mm. And yeah, that honesty thing, definitely. Uh, selling the kid false hopes for sure um, doing it for your own benefit for sure as a coach I think uh, yeah and just focusing solely on just individuals I just think you know it's always like I say it's got to be a two way street you know it builds your program as well as you know when he's there he's left a legacy in your program you know you want to be developing kids that are welcome back every single time. You know, mm, the door's always open. You know, because they're good kids. You're, you're working with, and even if they come in bad, they end up, you know, being that guy that knows what's happened for them. You know, and you've worked together for them and you go through things. <laughs> you know, you, you're taking these kids, nearly running them over when we drive them up the volcano, you know. <laughs> I have no recollection yeah. of that. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. does. <laughs> it was his fault he stopped. <laughs> but hey, that's the type of thing you got to go through. That. Hey, <laughs> hey, life is full of lumps, man. <laughs> it is. It is, especially when it's the six, seven children. Then things bounce. <laughs> the wheels on that thing bounce. <laughs> we can edit this part, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> I can't even remember what the damn question was <laughs> but yeah selling false hopes is definitely the number one for you oh man that's hilarious <laughs> um, I have no recollection of, of running any players over from any Nigel not at all nope nope <laughs> Just don't get him on your show. That's all I say. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Ooh. All right. Uh, last, last question for the coaches. Um, oh, controversial as well. Um, would you say that the purpose of a good coach or how you gauge a good coach or a good program is the fact of them sending players to the United States. So, you know, if you don't, if you're a coach and you work hard and all the rest of it, but you don't send players to the States, are you a bad coach? No, I think uh, you can only coach the people that are in front of you. Uh, that's coaching. You're only as good as the players that are in front of you. Uh, you can wave as many magic wands at anything, you know. <laughs> <laughs> some of them just won't do it, you know, and some of them do it and some of them can do it, but when they get to a level that they can't perform, 
you know, how many shooters do we have before where you can knock everything down in practice, look fantastic, and bright lights, bang, can't gake it. So again, it's always about the character of the kid, you know, that's always going to be the number one key contender. I just think you as a coach going forward, you always have to just be mindful of that. You know, it doesn't, you value the program as how the program grows as a coach. I think, you know, we, if you're able to develop, if you're able to continue success, you know, you look in England, there's no, there's, there's, there's no trick of why Solent are still Solent, you know, why they grow every year, why they do everything as a program, why their staff grow, et cetera, et cetera is because they stay consistent and to purpose, not because of this does so many things, you know. You take Manchester Magic, right, in England. Mm-hmm. All them all them kids' titles on the wall, yeah, all of them. Remember when you go in there and it's- Yeah, 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 they've got a big, yeah. All the championships. Where's the professional jersey hanging, except for the guy that owns the club, owns that center. You know, there's not another NBA jersey hanging in there, but you've had apparently so many winners, you know? So how do you value that club? Yeah. Is it doing right for the area? Where you go down to mini little Solon and the people that come out of there as professionals, very different. And it's just the culture of the club. So I think success is valued by, by the consistency of your program instead of what actually you, you know, you you toss out because really it's all a gauge of smoke and mirrors isn't it Uh, (laughs) you know it's like you can hide the fact that you're not getting any better by saying oh we're doing really well or you can stay under the radar and just continue to work and let let it all shine through you know it depends how you want to value yourself i like it um that's a good good um valid point there um and definitely um definitely worth considering because you know a lot of programs academies and stuff all over not just the UK in Europe you know one of their marketing tools is hey we've sent x amount of players to uh these programs or the school or whatever and someone making that decision I think they need to understand that hey as a coach or a program I don't think that necessarily defines you. Yes, it's good. Yes, it's great. If I win a championship as a program or whatever, it's a big achievement. It's a goal, but yeah. I don't think it's the be all and end all. It's the uh, it's the sauce on top of the ice cream kind of thing. Exactly. And what do you do next? Yeah. You know, what are you going to do next? You know, it's like like we said at the beginning of the program. In Grand- when we started, there were fifty kids. You know, and every single one of them kids wanted the same thing. Mm. In 2015, 16, when I left, there was 95, 100 kids in there. Now, 30 of them are wasting everybody's time. Mm. But they're there because the program sent a lot of kids to the United States. So families seem that they can buy their way in to get the kids to school. Does it devalue your program? Yes. You know, uh, if we stayed with 50, Okay, budget, everything like that, well, what it was, you know, it's, it was hard to run that academy. You, know? you had to, if you ever wanted to travel, you had to put everybody on a plane. 
It's not like you're going anywhere in the bus. It's not like here, we can drive to Germany, Italy, everything, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, you've got to put bums on the, on plane seats. And if you want to play in the best competitions, you've got to find different avenues of funding, everything like that. So, you know, it's like, it, you just got to value you, I think. And it's, you know, I think if you want to stay stay true to your, to your beliefs, and, I know, because you saw it. And it was clear, clear as day when it was 50 kids running the same thing. It was the best environment ever. You know, when it's 90 to 100, now we're babysitting 30 and ruining the environment. So to me, yeah, I think that's definitely a big factor. Okay. Um, last couple of questions. And Chris, I'm really enjoy. I mean, we could do this all night, man. But um, yeah, just... Yeah, just <laughs> uh, just a few more. Um, boom, 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 boom. What is your, you know, what are your views on the different levels of college basketball? So, would you say that junior college is bad? There's like a lot of stigma of junior college. So, would you say junior college is bad? Would you say that a player has failed or they haven't done well because they haven't made it to Division One? No, I think. I think you fail and you don't do very well is when you undervalue your potential. You know, I think every level has its purpose. And I know, I know that if I want to be a professional basketball player and I'm working my ass off to, just to get to junior college, yeah, I'm overselling the value and actually not being realistic to what I want to be. If you know what I mean, you know, because you get a lot of kids, we got one kid, here he's six nine, complete athlete. You know everything like this. He says he wants to play European basketball, but they were saying before that you have to go to junior college, stuff like this. You know, or he wants to play basketball, yeah. And I and he was going, he was worrying all about school and everything like this to get into junior college. And I said, hey, at the end of the day, man, you're worrying a lot about a, a level that will take you just by the way you look. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I think you've got to start valuing actual your levels and give yourself a bit more credit to say, okay, instead of taking the easy route all the time and underselling myself, let's have a goal. Let's take care of the day to day. And let's see if I can achieve that. Because even if you don't achieve, you, even if you don't hit your maximum, you're way better than when you started before. You haven't undersold yourself. You haven't put yourself in a wreck. So, I just think maybe valuing the level to what you want to achieve will be the answer to that. You know, I don't think it's a bad level. I don't think you failed. I think you are who you are. And I think maximizing your potential, if you don't do that, if you don't maximize the player you be, then, hey, you look at somebody like Ryan, you look at somebody like Ryan Richards as a professional. You know what I mean? He's probably one of the most gifted kids to ever come out of the UK with talent, scope, the ability to do it, you know, it could be the same there. Now he's, he, I watched him a couple of days ago against Thames Valley in the BBL, you know, the BBL trophy. Mm. And I'm thinking, you're so dominant, but you don't use it. <laughs> and you're now at that level where you got drafted by the San Antonio Spurs. How the hell did that drop off? You know? <laughs> You never really reached your potential. Did he fail? No, he did what he did, but he never made the maximum use of the ability that he has. 
And I think, yeah, I would never value the level as a failure. I would more look individually and say, did you really get the best out of yourself? To me? That, that, that makes sense. That makes sense of, you know, you're not comparing, it's not the level, it's, it's you achieving what you, you know, you can achieve. And I guess that that is more of a failure than, you know, going to play junior college or D2, D3, whatever. Um, you know, sometimes, as you said, you get lucky and you get a break, um, you know, see, uh, in series one, we, a lot of players said they got lucky breaks. You know, Jordan Spencer said that, um, I believe it was Jordan. He said that the point guard, when he came in, the point guard was injured or something like that. And then it kind of pushed them into that starter role. And then they ended up playing with two point guards, you know what I mean? Because yeah. he performed so well. Um, yeah, they can ignore him. Huh? He took took opportunity of his thing. Huh? Yeah, so, and that's and that's kind of the the big thing. So yeah, I like it. Um, going back to your days when you was a, a you know a pro men's coach, um, who who did you often um, recruit in terms of was it domestic players? Was it um, kids that you know maybe European players that graduated from? Um, NCAA basketball was you able to recruit those guys and were they more talented than the guys that stayed home I think when you when you recruit uh, professionally you're coming in to run a system you're coming in to run run the system for the coach uh, because it's his ID where you got to be in I think the better identity and the more experience you have sometimes helps uh, the more, the more uh, we we brought in a kid from Oklahoma State once, and I was at Pepin Stairs. His name's Darrell Williams. He he looked fabulous on tape and everything like that. He was the type of guy when he came in, though he couldn't run a play, even if it was for him to score, and that hurts in European basketball. That really hurts. Because especially when you play each other locally, as, as in a league, you play each other four or five times, they, they, they sniff that out, <laughs> you know? And being a, but what we did find out and what we did learn very quickly is he was probably the best rebounder in the league. So adjusting him into a system where that made him, and because he came in from that year with Marcus Smart, he was there with Marcus Smart, all oh. the shooters and everything like this, Okay, so he was there just to rebound. <laughs> he was actually there just to rebound. So when we found out that, and he was better in chaos with no control, uh, we were able to put an identity to him and make him fit. So whenever you look at the local guys, what you try and get is the best local guys that you can get at the highest level. Uh, and also the consistency of the local guys. Then, especially in Belgium, if you took rookies, it was always risky. Because there has to be that, that has to, you always go from a, it's a completely different level of professionalism because you go from college basketball where you're playing with kids of your own age, yeah, or a four, four year, five year age range where you learn to grow into that, where you go into professional basketball where some of the guys are 10, 12 years more experienced in, yeah. So all the, all the mistakes and the easy things you could get away with in college, in pro life, it's not there. You know, you, you're identified very quickly, your faults are identified very quickly, and they come after you after them faults. So it's also, you gotta have the willingness to learn quick. You gotta be a willingness to adapt. 
And if you have, the more identity you're able to recruit, the more money you're worth. <laughs> yeah. So if you're just in and out, not really sure, not really sure of a skill set or stuff like this, the higher the level European basketball you go, the less opportunities you will have to become professional. You know, because that's that's just the make or mark of that. Uh, the way that teams are built because we're in a business where you win there's not a lot of teams that survive or coaches survive anymore if you go we're going to go through a development process you know that means you're going to get fired if you don't get it right very quickly you know so yeah so you've got to either be very good with the owners and understand that that's development development if you're going to bring in rookies but even then if you bring in rookies you've got to have two or three very good senior players around them Long, yeah, you know yeah. exactly so you're able to balance everything through so coming through with that identity and understanding uh you know it's it, it's a real big help so and re recruitment it doesn't come down to any more potential because potential will just get you fired flat out oh, but he should have been good you know but he wasn't and he lost five games in a row you're gone you know that's 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 the cutthroat of it you chose that player he didn't come in and perform you're gone you know yeah, yeah so yeah. you've got one or two chances of a couple of players that you can make changes with you get them wrong too you're gone so you know it's a completely different cutthroat world where limitations of expectations that's why sometimes you know if you want to be pro and you want to live that pro life then some and you know you're good enough sometimes college just isn't for you because you go to college you play for two and a half months of the year the rest of it you're practicing you play only 40 games a year if if that and think if you redshirt for a year and then you're a junior you know a freshman you know until you get to your junior senior years you know sophomore freshman sophomore you're going to be playing limited minutes you know you're always going to be playing behind somebody else so within really a 12 year 12 year thing you're only playing so many games at that thing where if you come into if you want to be a professional you go straight away playing with older men so you learn with older men in a professional outfit you know you're playing 70 games a year because they're putting you not just with the first team but also with the second team and you're playing a lot of minutes in the second team and you're being pushed you're being held accountable for everything you do you're under contract so you have to work where it's a completely different spiral approach so in some ways you've got to figure out you know is this the right thing for me i think you know I've said it before, I said it on the last podcast I was on with like Cameron Hildreth. I think Cameron Hildreth, if we're talking about English kids, his unique talent is his competitiveness. Yeah, he is a competitor. He's a warrior. He wants to win. Yeah, he's going to Wake Forest that have been on how many losing seasons? <laughs> Living on that prospect of redeveloping the program. But you're not going to play as much as you do in England. You're not going to be playing with older guys, which you thrive on. The level of competitism, yes, it's there. The hype is there because of the arenas and everything like that and the conference. But is it really you? You know, are you actually able to express your actual talent, which is serious competitiveness? Are you going to be okay of being told what to do? Are you going to be, you know, 
are you going to be able to be told what to do or play behind somebody else or know there's a hierarchy for another kid that's at the same age as you where it's easier to accept if you go into a professional team and the other guy is more older and experienced than you it's not just the coach that's coaching you it's the player as well and you're learning every single day so it's a big it's such a hard it's like a circus i think huh so sometimes taking kids from college at the higher level you know you can go to the bbl and the bbl is full of rookie americans right yeah a lot of them are rookie americans because that level you can get away with it at points i think sometimes the higher the level the rookie american he's got to be really really good or really really dominant at one thing you know he's been at programs that you know he's been at programs where he's dominated the league he's dominated that he's grown the program he's shown that skill set and he now he can come in and you don't have to start from scratch with him because he already has his identity and uh, you know i think it's it's a minefield when it comes to comes to that but definitely the lower the level the more rookies you see yeah the higher you go there's one or two rookies and it's surrounded by people that know what the hell they're doing because otherwise you're gonna get fired you know yeah so yeah it's a it is it's very very difficult that trans that trans from college life to pro life is night and day you know so you can get away with a lot of things in college you're allowed to make mistakes you're allowed to do things like that you know you got every single part of physio with you then you turn up on a bad old bus go to a tape room that stinks you know go into arenas where everybody hates you spits at you stuff like this you know calls you everything you like changes you know and it's a very very different world and i think being honest with both of them worlds and really what you want because uh, i do believe in that saying too that if you can make money why go to school for four years to make money when you could already make money before you went to school yeah you know it, it's just a big big balance it'll be very interesting to see like like i said earlier on with the program with jeremy sochim he's now dominated in two massive european tournaments here he's just been selected for the national team of poland he's going to go in probably if the, the fiba european championships the youth come in again he's going to go into that category you know more clubs are coming to look at him and and really then he has to make the decision whether a scholarship at Baylor is worth development and a million euros over five years you know <laughs> both will change your life mm. in some way how do you maximize what you're going to do you know and what actually suit and then it goes right back to what we were saying at the beginning what suits you as an individual you know that's going to make you thrive and have you really looked at every possibility or did you jump at the hype has it always been a dream stuff like that and, you know it's it's such a minefield and you know i think the more truthful the more clear the more everything you are about that situation as a coach with your players is you know don't try to persuade them just keep on trying just to drop little nuggets in there to make them open their eyes <laughs> I, I agree. Um, yeah, that was pretty pretty rounded. Um, and definitely about it. I, would, I wouldn't say circus. I know you said circus, but it is definitely a juggling act. And, you know, it is very cutthroat, like how you're saying, of, hey, well, you know, potential doesn't pay the bills or potential doesn't win us titles. So, you know, you have a producer, that's it. And that's the player and coach kind of thing. So, yeah. Um, yeah, last two questions for you, bro. And as I said, I, I'm absolutely loving this. Um, 
and I guess we just kind of touched on it as well. Does an extremely talented player have to go to uh, play collegiate basketball to be successful? And how much do you value the domestic route? I value the domestic route as much as I would if that if it suits the player. Then yeah, I, I, I value both routes individually together. You know, it's your choice. Do I do I now start to favour the prof- if I want to be a professional basketball player, and I have the opportunity to grow within professional environments, and the way now you've got one and done transfer systems, you know, everything like this now in college basketball, COVID, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, you know, and if, it, if education really isn't that high on your list and you're not very good at it, and I want to just focus on this, then, you know, I'm, I'm starting to favor more, still individualistic, but if I want to be pro, I want to have that mindset and I want to continue to develop as a pro. You know, I want to be around people that are pro. You know, I want to make, I want to get put myself in the luckiest position in the world. You know, because I, I can work hard and my luck will grow because I'm in the right position. So to me, as a, as a professional, you know, some kids don't, and I think that's why more work needs to be done in obviously domestic leagues. Mm-hmm. You know, with being able to adapt to these things and stuff like that to be able to grow the game. I think also with domestic leagues as well, what they don't do enough is encourage their players to come back once their careers are ended. You know, so you, what you're doing, you know, as much as it's important to push younger generation into leagues, it's very important as well to bring the older guys back. back. Yeah. yeah, because then you bring back knowledge, you bring back professionalism, you bring back standards for free, you know, and you be, you're able to build kids underneath and keep professionalism at a level um that's something that you don't get in college basketball because it's very coach orientated you know what i mean and and sometimes hey nowadays you don't win in college basketball now goodbye to your staff how many kids have you had on this show that lost coaches halfway through their tenor you know so and sometimes you get more security with being in a professional coach because you're under contract they have to play you, you know, but also you, you're valued so you can ask to leave. You know, yeah. you can go to another program and people get money for that. So it's kind of an even basis instead of flipping, flopping. I, I remember Kieran Achara said something, the best thing about college basketball now is that you can transfer. <laughs> if you're going in there with the wrong idea, <laughs> then, you know, you've just wasted a year of your life. If you really want to be a professional, to, to what, you know? Yeah. So I just yeah, think... It's going it's to be a minefield. This transfer window coming up uh, next season is mm-hmm. going to be an absolute minefield. And yeah. um, there's going to be some players that make some good moves, some programs that make some good moves, but there's going to be a lot of people that miss out because yeah. of it as well. So um, I'm really, really intrigued to, to see how it all works out. And then is it going to be a program that's going to start chasing winning instead of development? So you go get these four-year, five-year guys from bigger schools because that's the same sort of approach as bringing back pros to make the maturity level better. So what was actually a key for a European is now taken from an experienced college player, transferred on his fifth year. You know what I mean? So now you've got that. Now your advantage 
is taken away by somebody else because they're coming into one program to get, you know, the highest pot that they can get. That's, a, that's now, a very valid point. That is a very valid point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now yeah. you might be sitting sitting behind somebody the first year. You didn't develop as well as they did. They go get that transfer. You're sitting behind him for another two years. You know, and then you know where are you gonna go? You know, <laughs> what are you gonna do? Yeah, that's What's a very the value valid. in you. You know, that's at least at least at least in if you went a professional route, you have the chance every day to prove yourself. You know, you're there, you're practicing twice a day, you're, you're playing games, you're doing anything. They have to value your contract because they're investing in you. Mm. College basketball isn't really investing in you in the basketball sense. The educational sense is investing in you. Mm. Basketball, minefield. It's, um, yeah, it's very true. And there's so much stuff going on nowadays that it's tough. Coach, last question. Um, what advice would you give to someone who is 14, 15, around that age group, um, who dreams of playing collegiate basketball in the States? What Live advice? the day. Live the day. Uh, I say you can have goals, but take care of every day. Don't go setting your stars all the way and don't do the pre-work before. You know, you can have that dream. That's fantastic. But dreams change, you know, careers change, feelings change, body changes, everything changes. Injuries happen, everything like that. And I think some kids get death when they're 14 and they're told, oh, you're really quick. You could do this, you could do that. But unfortunately, you still got another couple of years to go before you even get there. And if you lose your mind going too far forward instead of taking care of what happens today, then how are you going to change your future? You know, basketball is always a game where you must live in the now. You can't live in the past because it moves too fast. And you can't live in the future because in the second, even just like in a game, if you think you're going to win and you're 12 points up, <laughs> here they come with that three-pointer, you know, and then we're back into a game. It's the same thing with that. We got, we got one kid here, Gyro, he's 14 years old. And he's right now worrying that he won't be picked up by anybody else. He's probably one of the highest talents that are in this country at his age group. And we have, we have honestly gone after him just to try and keep him in the moment all the time. You know, keep developing himself. Keep building your own stock for people to come and fall in love with you. You know, give somebody a reason to come and get you. And that is working every day. Not just thinking, okay, you're gonna be okay because I joined that program. No, you still gotta go there with a work rate because at the end of the day, you're still gonna to have to prove that. You know, you speak to Menno, you speak to all of them guys, they said they hated it, but you need it. Mm. You know what I mean? You need that, you need that work rate. You need that ability to outwork people. You can't just look too far ahead and not take care of today because things change. Body changes, interest changes. You know, the greatest advice that I ever had is you never know who's watching. It's dead true. Yeah. And if you just keep on floating and thinking you're going to get there uh, and you don't take care of today, somebody else will bite you in the ass. I tell you, I've seen it with my very, with my very own eyes. There was uh, the Latvian kid, Karos, and then Shalom Kluth, right? Seaton Hall came in purposely to look at Shalom in a tournament. He played 
really bad that tournament. Latvian kid hit nine threes. In one HK, day. HK 47. Yeah. In one game, the scholarship switched. <laughs> Just like that. No control. And I, you know, and Charlie is one of these guys that take care of every day. So even then, you know, it's not. <laughs> he, but because he continued to take care every day, he's still a success now. He got, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He got a great scholarship. He got a great opportunity. He's played in the biggest leagues in Europe. He's now leading. He's now one of the leaders in the Dutch national team fighting for Eurobasket this weekend. So he's taking control of his life to be able to put himself on the biggest picture, you know? And where Harold's now playing in Lapit, just that. Mm. So you can't control the future only if you take care of today, at least then you've got some sort of direction. Nobody can ever tell you who, how good you're going to be if you work every single day because you, you're in more control than anybody else huh? because you're making yourself better. So, yeah, that would be my biggest advice to kids that are 14, that are talented. Don't listen. When somebody says you're talented, take offense to that and work harder. <laughs> and take care of yourself. Don't, don't tell me you're talented. Yeah, don't tell you you're talented. Don't. It makes me feel uncomfortable when anybody ever tells me, I'm, you know, you're good at you're doing what you're doing. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, because I still want to trigger it. I still want to be better, you know? And I just think, especially in this career, that's how you survive. Because <laughs> this is a really horrible career to get into. You know, it's like being a boxer. Why would you be a boxer? You get punched in the face all the time. It's like this job, isn't it? Yeah. You know, anything goes wrong, it's your fault. It's funny. <laughs> you know, anything goes right, you could have done better. You know, I mean, yeah. Jesus Christ. Or it's nothing to do with you, it's the, it's the yeah, guys. Yeah, it's nothing right. to do with you, it's the players or stuff like that. So, hey, man, it's, a, it's the worst job in the world. So, if you don't take care of yourself, then that's, that's what it is. So, my yeah, brother, I, my brother, my brother, I so, so, so appreciate us hanging out and talking. Thanks, um, A lot, a lot of information, a lot of um trenches uh have been tracked yes. through a lot of wars a lot of scars a lot of great yeah. memories um yeah. and definitely a big big fan and we I, you know i need to do a better job at, at keeping up to date with what's going on in the world of you with uh mr mays my name's chris mays a technical director of bc harlem here in amsterdam uh thank you for watching the euro stepping a great show by a great friend. And just like him, always go for your dreams, fellas. Never hold back. Appreciate you watching the Eurostepping. I want to thank everybody for watching Eurostepping. Watching the Eurostepping. The Eurostepping. The Eurostepping. You've been watching the Eurostepping. The Eurostepping. Eurostepping. You've been watching the Eurostepping, a great podcast show hosted by Coach D.